Welcome to Bloom, the podcast where mums share their unfiltered birth experiences. We hope that by listening to their stories, you feel empowered and inspired wherever you are on your own journey. Welcome to Bloom. So some of the things that today's mum found surprising about the experience of becoming a mum include just how amazing babies are, how much she loves being a mum and how empowering birth can be, but also how mentally straining pregnancy is, how hard it feels to go back to work, but how hard not working would also be. And she is specifically and intensely surprised by how little we get taught at school about conception, pregnancy and birth. Well, Nora, I feel you. And I'm really (laughs) excited to talk to you today and get stuck into some of these experiences with you. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. Um, Thank you for that little introduction. I sort of I think I wrote that a little while ago. I've forgotten what I thought, but that is exactly what I think. Perfect. Uh, so, yeah. Welcome. And we really can't wait to chat about all of this. Um, you can hear that we have a little Harvey, my little two-month-old next to me, um, who is joining in. So I hope this doesn't distract everyone, but um, we will do our best to, to not be distracted <laughs> ourselves. So to get started, uh, Laura, please, could you tell us your name? Um, your age, where you're from, what you do in life and tell us all about your lovely family. Yes, well I'm Laura, Um, I am 31, I live in West London, Um, what I do in life, I'm a a mum of two, Uh, so my daughter is about to turn three and my son has turned six months today. And yeah, I also work uh, for a company called Human Forest, which makes uh, shared and runs shared e-bikes in London as um, head of partnerships and sustainability. So yeah, that's a little bit about me. Wonderful. And you have uh, your marriage as well. Yes. Sorry, should, shouldn't should really forget my husband. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he's quite an integral part of the family. Um, yeah, my husband's called Cosmo. Um, he's 32. Um, and we also have a lovely dog who I also shouldn't forget called Alba. She's a golden retriever and she's very much part of the family as well. Wonderful. I guess let's start right back at the beginning. How did you and Cosmo meet and where did your journey to motherhood begin it's actually a little bit embarrassing because when I broke up with my ex or rather my ex broke up with me we got together as a group of girls I was basically bemoaning that there were no eligible men that I was going to meet at university mm-hmm. and so we wrote what we called the dream boy list um which comprised 15 um guys that we sort of knew or knew of at university I think the aim of this dream boy list rather than sort of being rude to 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 men around us was more was to pick me up when I was a bit grumpy anyway Cosmo was number 13 out of 15 on the dream boy list which has always been a sore topic anyway I did meet Cosmo uh in our final year of university um and just as I was leaving we sort of started um seeing each other properly in terms of the sort of journey, I think I did always imagine myself being a mum. I think I went through a bit of a phase in my maybe early 20s of thinking, no, I don't really want that. Like, it's not maybe not like cool. I think I sort of thought, no, I don't really want. And then actually deep down, I was like, no, I, no, I really, really do. Where do you think that came from? That kind of, oh, it's not cool. It's not the... Yeah, it's a good question. So I think um, my sister has... Um, 
four children and my brother sat down with children as well. Um, and I think maybe as a sibling, you define yourself sometimes in opposition to other people. So, you know, she's the motherly one. Um, and I wanted to be like the kind of more career one. Mm. Um, uh, but actually, the, I did, that didn't last particularly long. I remember my mum saying but before she had my brother, who she hadn't planned to have, she said, oh, I never held a baby. I never even thought of being a mum. And I do remember her saying that to me around that time where I was sort of like, no, no, I don't really want. Um, and thinking that's not me. I actually, I, can, I really do. I can see it. And and I think as soon as I, as soon as she sort of said that she really hadn't thought, and I think she was very authentic. She really hadn't thought about having kids until she literally had a baby. Mm. I sort of questioned what I was saying about maybe not wanting to settle down and want that. Cause I think really, I think I always really did want that. And so when did you two start first talking about having babies? Um, I remember we were living in a flat in Holland park and, um, it, it, it was just one bed and it was um he was on his way back from work and I was already home he said can I get anything from Tesco can I pick anything up from Tesco I said yeah you could pick me up a baby or a puppy and it was kind of like it was kind of, and then I just relent I yeah I relentlessly sort of asked asked for a baby or a puppy um again sorry to kind of um conflate the two I know they're very different but <laughs> I did. And then we, that sort of opened up the conversation. And I think he was a bit more keen to hold off. And we, and we did hold off. Um, and then I came off contraception. I think it was, and I still think sometimes the pill that I was on doesn't do great things for mental health, mm. but I'm not really sure of that. Mm. I mean, I mean that's the, so I came off the pill and and we said, look, if this happens, it happens. If it doesn't, it doesn't. Mm-hmm. It wasn't sort of like a we now want to have children. So actually, when I got pregnant, despite knowing that and having had that conversation, I was a bit like, oh, God, this <laughs> wow, happened. this is big. So you found out you were pregnant. What was it like when you found found out when you looked at that test result? And what did you do? What was the first thing you did? I took more tests. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's quite a typical reaction, isn't it? Like, oh, shit, let's buy five more tests. Yeah. I didn't buy five more. I think I bought two more. And I was like, right, no, this is. And then I was a bit taken aback and don't get my head around it. And But I mean, it really didn't take long. As I said, it's always something I've wanted. Mm. Um, and, and Cosmo, likewise, is he's quite level-headed it's not something that he would ever lose his mind over or sort of be particularly worried about he was like great you know but I think he was also like wow yeah Um, yeah and again I think that comes back to that point of not really trying knowing that it could happen and hoping in some ways that it happened but not actively trying there wasn't all this pressure and build-up what was the first thing you did I went to the GP Mm -hmm. and I was sort of I think he he thought wow she's surprised as well Mm. and he was like are you okay with this and and I think that question insights like are you okay as in do you you know do you not want this to continue and Mm. I was like yeah no no I'm okay I'm Mm. okay like just a lot to process um (laughs) yeah it's a lot to process I think that's exactly right it was a lot to process Mm -hmm. um and then I had that booking appointment and I think I found that sort of early stage quite hard because you're a bit confused about what to do like who do I tell yeah who do I talk to what is that booking appointment as someone who I've given birth elsewhere not in the UK what is that first booking appointment I think they just to check I think you are pregnant Mm. um to take your medical history Mm -hmm. and your partner's for the for Annabelle my partner Cosmo was there and they Mm. took his medical history and take your BMI I'll just ask you a few questions Mm -hmm. and I think sort of get the ball rolling a little bit 
Get you um, in the system. Get you in the system, yeah. Okay, nice. And so what was pregnancy like with Annabelle? Was it, you know, what kind of symptoms did you have? What do you remember from that time? It was hard, to be honest. It was hard. Mm-hmm. I found it really hard. You know, I've been very fortunate in both my pregnancies. I haven't had any big medical, physical health issues, but I found me- my mental health deteriorated. What happened? What did it feel like? I just, I, I think I, it's hard to sort of label, but I would say slightly depressed mm. because... I've had sort of anxiety before and I don't know. I mean, I think you are anxious when often when you're pregnant because there's so much going on. Mm. But actually what I haven't really experienced in my life before is that sort of, God, I don't want to get out of bed feeling. Mm. And that sort of, um, I think I describe myself in second pregnancy as like a bit of a shadow of myself. Like mm. I didn't really feel like myself. Mm-hmm. And I found it really hard to just get up and out. Part of that was tiredness and sickness, which I definitely had a lot of in that first trimester. And in mm-hmm. fact, with Annabelle, it went on a bit further into the second trimester too. Mm. Um, but sort of at that end of that first trimester, I mean, I just felt really sad. I, and and with Annabelle, I thought it was a little bit more situational. So I thought it was maybe um, we needed to move house to have the baby. I thought maybe it's moving house. Maybe it's um, my job at the time. I wasn't necessarily as happy as I could be in, in that job. So I thought it was really situational and I had to fix all these things. Yeah. And actually, when I ha- when I experienced the exact same feeling at almost the exact same time in the pregnancy with Kit, it was almost a relief because I was like, this is physiological. This right. isn't something I need to fix. This is something I need to just get through the other side of. Right. But I mean, the only way I can really describe it is just feeling really, really shit, like really just down, really sad. And did this last a long time? Yeah, um, probably into the second, a few weeks into the second trimester. And then I would say like the clouds started to lift a little bit. I remember... And I was so much more conscious of it with Kit because I was so, I was, I really understood it was a mental health thing. It wasn't just, oh God, I'm pregnant and I need to fix my job. Because you can easily think that, can't you? There is so much change going on. There are so many new things to think about. You're trying to process so much. Like, how do you unpick what's what? It, it must have been a huge relief, as you say, to be able to almost compartmentalize that when you realize that with Kit, that it wasn't something that you had control over and therefore had to act on on top of everything else that was going on at the time I think that's so it and I think that's the point more broadly with mental health that desire to sort of fix it Mm. is quite it it almost makes it worse with Kit I felt the exact same way I think there's a there's a link between uh, women that suffer with um, mental health problems in pregnancy and postnatal depression Mm. Um, and what I always took reassurance with not even when Annabelle just arrived it was before that it was into that third trimester I started feeling way more like myself Mm. and actually I was I I didn't I didn't struggle thank god at all with postnatal depression Mm. so I was able with Kit to get a bit of perspective be like right I need to get through this and 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 if that it feels the same up to now so it's very possible that it's going to be the same as it was with Belle and I can just um Mm. feel better and and that's exactly what happened very sensitive to things like very overthinking like I will I will I would get in a hole on a comment someone made that was just not a thing that I just wouldn't I wouldn't normally be that triggered by something um so yeah and it was hard it was hard work to get through that and how did you I mean when you were in the middle of that did you seek out help or yeah um so what did you do and, and what helped so I've been speaking to a therapist for a few years anyway and so she was an easy sort of point of contact mm-hmm. um and she, also I what was great was I was speaking to her through my pregnancy with Annabelle and also through Kit so she could definitely be a bit of a um 
she could reassure she did reassure me that I think that it was quite similar and then she put me in contact with anti I think it was the antenatal mental health team connected to the hospital that I was sort of seeing for my pregnancy at the time and actually both um, of those teams and particularly individuals I can remember in each pregnancy one particular woman with Annabelle and one particular different woman with Kit were just people that I could talk to and they checked in with me and it was great and it was so good just to know you had that and actually with Kit I didn't need it too much. Like I was able, I think by the third trimester, I sort of um, self just sort of checked out with it, with their, you know, I spoke to them about it and said, look, I'm all right now. And they said the door's always open, but it was just nice to know that they were there. What went on when you saw them? It was more practical. So it was sort of, what are are there anything specifically you're worried about in your pregnancy? Um, A lot of like, how do you feel? Mm. Um, uh, How are you doing at the moment? What's different? And so they could sort of monitor when and and in my case, see that I was getting better. I mean, if I had another child, I would probably get there sooner because I think it was bad both times it was bad by the time I got there and so luckily for them they saw me I think get a little bit better um each time um and also just have a coordination of care between a therapist and them so that they Mm. could kind of monitor and and I think it's like watchful waiting just make sure that they're there with kit it was a little bit more um specific so there were there were certain things that I was worried about so I've always been very afraid of Mm c-section so it was planning what do we do and um, this amazing midwife called Miranda, she made me a plan for if there was a C-section, almost like a birth plan, but like a, a second birth plan for, and she made sure it was sort of on my notes so that if I went into hospital, um, that was there and there was a structure. Now that you are getting towards the birth and the pregnancy, you've gone through a lot with the pregnancy already. How did you start preparing for the birth itself? And how did you feel about going into the birth first time round? How did I prepare for birth? Yeah, so with Annabelle, um, I, I mean, part of the reason why I'm drawn to this podcast was that I was really seeking out sort of birth stories. Um, and I couldn't really find any. And I did listen to a few podcasts I found. I would listen in the bath, um, had a book, Better Birth by Siobhan Miller that I uh, that I read. That was the main way of preparing and, and kind of, I think, listening to what other people had gone through. Again, not always really positive stories, not, you know, the good, the bad, the ugly. Um, hearing what other people had had done was really helpful to me to start preparing so how did you prepare for a home birth not at all I've always been a bit I was always a bit kind of grossed out at stuff like a bit oh god you wouldn't want that in your house like loads of blood and but when I read about it um and heard some podcasts about it I just thought why would I not think about this as I said I'm a bit scared of um I am scared of c-sections and people who have them I'm always so impressed by and my thing was Partly that I believe that oxytocin, when you're in your own home, I'm quite a home person anyway, but also maybe that chain of medicalization can be stopped if you're in your own home. Like I was, mm. uh, I am still scared of that. If we do one thing, then does does it mean that we have another thing and then I end up in theatre? And losing control of what was going on. I think that's a big thing, losing control of what's going on. I think you've, yeah, you've kind of hit the nail on the head there. And so then the home birth, we went back and forth on and, you know, you know, you're pregnant and you're talking to people and you mention it and you do get a bit of, I went to an NCT class and um, we, at this point, we were quite keen on it. Uh, and I think there was someone there who said something, God, God no, that would be awful. And, and, and I just sort of put my, you know, put my head down and said, yeah, birth centre. I just didn't want to, 
I didn't want to get into the conversation with people. And I think people were worried and family were worried that if you're not in a hospital um, or if something goes wrong, which is a legitimate fear, I think, going back and forth with Biney. And she said, well, it sounds like you're worried about doing it because of what other people think. So why don't we just not make a decision? You can do what you want. You tell people you haven't made a decision and you see where you get to on the day. You can always come in. Um, and so that sort of took massive pressure off the decision. And, and in taking that pressure off, I think I decided that I would like a home birth. But I didn't spread it too widely that I was doing that for fear of people's reactions. It it does provoke strong feeling and strong emotion, doesn't it? And so that sounds like really great guidance. Take the pressure off, see where you land, see how you're feeling. But did you actually have to have any kind of like physical things in the house? Yes, yeah, the box. For when it happened. Yeah, so what? what's in that box? What did you have to have to be able to make the choice? That is funny. I, um, I've never opened the box. I never opened the box. But I think I know what's in it. I think because they also left something in my fridge. I think they left pain relief for post-birth in the fridge when you say they who are you talking the midwife team so you had I had a specific home birth midwife team they come around just before between 36 and 37 weeks with a the first time around it was a box the second time around it was a very big pink suitcase which you kind of couldn't miss um which would like sort of watch me from the corner of the room when it when I was leading up (laughs) I'm waiting yeah exactly I'm here god I actually don't really know what was in it because it didn't have gas and air in it I suspect it had things like a resuscitation kit in case that was needed sheets stuff like that and they did also say with with Annabelle they were much more and I don't know if this was just to make sure that I was kind of really knew what I was getting myself into but they said if we need to resuscitate the baby there needs to be a hard surface so uh which hard surface are we going to put down as like the hard surface and I was like wow and I was like well my kitchen table but I also remember in that moment being like wow but yeah that's that's it like you know just reality you need to kind of know what might happen and so you're getting close to your due day what actually happens when labor kicks off I was quite fortunate in the sense that a few days before I was due I started getting pains so sort of early I guess contractions and so I went into the hospital and they said, you're not in labour, it's practice labour, which I hate the phrase practice labour because, mm. God, you should never really have to practice that. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> it's something that you should Once just Once is do. enough. Yeah, you shouldn't have to practice. And I was just that really kind of, at the time, pissed me off, I guess, because I was not progressing, but I was having every 10, 15 minutes contraction and it was stopping me sleeping. Um, okay. but what it also how long did that last for um, so that was on the sun Saturday Sunday I gave birth on Wednesday <laughs> and so it was a long time of that and that really did go on I also thought uh, my at the same time I thought my water had broken overnight but I just weed myself a little bit which I think is very normal but at the time I was a bit like so I'm having a practice contractions they're not getting me anywhere but they're very painful and I mm. thought my water had broken but actually it's wee and it, it was just a sort of like oh god am I sort of not and my big fear there was I'm finding these practice contractions very painful so that I can't really sleep but this is just practice what's it going to be like how am I going to cope that's very disheartening isn't it yeah it it feels like not the right word to say because obviously those contractions are getting you somewhere it is your body preparing you are moving forwards but that does make it sound like it's absolutely not real and it's not doing anything that must have that must have felt very disheartening very disheartening very disheartening but at the same time the more positive 
way of looking at that is that I think it was my due date actually that I started getting those practice contractions. So I never got to that stage where I was way over my due date and like nothing's happening. Like I knew something was happening and I knew right. that there was movement which, as in movement towards birth. So I, mm-hmm. that was a more positive way of looking at it. I also found a bit of pressure of at this time there was no real work from home. So Cosmo was on the Monday like, should I go in? Should I not? And he didn't go in on the Monday and nothing really happened. And so on the Tuesday, I was like, no, go in, go in. Yeah. And actually it was on the Tuesday. I mean, I, I kind of hunkered down. I like, I'd been doing a lot of like walking and like trying to, you know, walk the baby out, they say. And actually I took the reverse approach. I just, I, I even closed all the curtains and, uh, mm. and I like, you know, put like location, location, location on. It was like, I'm doing nothing all day. I'm doing nothing. Just cozied up, got into a little safe space. Mm, exactly. Made a little nest. And then it was the Wednesday when you full-blown labour began. How did that feel? How was that different to those practice in inverted commas? Yeah, so it was the Tuesday that I did that sort of hunkering down thing. Yeah. And then by the time Cosmo got home on Tuesday night, I was like, oh, these are, this is getting, this is intense. Like we've stepped mm-hmm. up, but it's the same. And I think there was a real relief that actually it wasn't, it was obviously like orders of magnitude away from, you know, when it, when labor, when I got into labor, but it was the same feeling. It was my body preparing. It wasn't totally different. It wasn't totally different all of a sudden. So they ramped up and then I knew it, we knew it was sort of kicking off. So we didn't go to sleep that night. We went for a walk around where we live, came back and then got in the bath. And I watched, I had this thing that I was going to try and watch all the 90s Hugh Grant films. <laughs> so I watched Two Weeks Notice in the Bath, which is probably the worst. I don't know if it's the worst because I was having contractions or if it is just the worst film. Cos was there, he, he got a chair and sort of sat there. And, and then at two o'clock in the morning or so, I was like, <laughs> and so we called the mid wife and they said we're actually at another home birth so we can't get there if you need to go into the birth center and so we went into the birth center she said you're two centimeters gave me a codeine do you want to stay or or go home if you want to have that home birth go home and and they hopefully they'll be done um in time to come to you and so we went home and that just progressively got more and more intense and then at seven o'clock we called and said can someone come and they finished at the home birth and they came over at about 8am and she was born at 3.30 so it was still quite quite a long time. What happened between 8am and 3.30 then? Are there kind of specific moments that stick out to you in that process and what what was everyone doing what were what were you doing what how were they helping you and supporting you? So it wasn't Biney unfortunately but it was a lovely lovely uh, other midwife who was great and then there was a student midwife so it was those two that arrived at about eight o'clock in the morning and then another midwife came you need two qualified midwives I believe if you're having home birth Mm -hmm. another midwife came a bit later with the gas and air I knew my mum said to me before I went into labor she said the pain she said the pain is like a wave but you have to remember you're always on top of the wave you're never lost in the wave you're always on top of the wave and so I really did keep thinking like this thing of the wave um Mm. it sounds ridiculous but I was thinking of a wave and I was like I'm always on top of the wave and breathing that breathing 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 reminding myself of how to breathe and and I didn't really open up to conversations. You were staying in your bubble and focused. But as soon as they arrived, they sort of got themselves settled, introduced themselves because I hadn't met them before. And then she said, would you like to be checked, see how far along you are in terms of dilation? I said, yes. And I saw them switch because they said, you're eight centimetres. And there was this sudden, oh, shit, you know, 
it's half eight in the morning, quarter to nine, let's go, like get all the stuff ready. They put, put everything mm. out. I noticed, even though I was in, still really in that bubble, I really noticed like a step change in there. They were very relaxed when they came. Mm, and then yes. suddenly it was like, oh, let's go. Yeah. Um, but actually it was a long time before I gave birth. I found with Annabelle, with the contractions, I could keep on top of that, that wave. Um, mm-hmm. I, but I was exhausted from several days of not really sleeping. Mm-hmm. I didn't really eat much, to be honest, in labour. I was very tired. So I didn't, I started pushing, I think, at around nine or 10 in the morning, and I gave birth at half three in the afternoon. And that was a bit of a worry for them, because I think they don't often let you push for for too long wow yeah that does sound like a long time and so did they um help guide you with that I mean did you just start getting the feeling that I have to push no very completely opposite and actually that was something I really worried about with Kit is that I never felt a real urge to push at this Mm. point I was really really tired and I was started Mm. sort of hallucinating basically I thought that there was this is a ridiculous story first of all I thought the door the front door was open and I kept saying to Cosmo close the door, close the front door. And he was like, Laura, the front door is closed. I was in the living room, so right by that front door. And then I thought that there was, so we've got like a sort of conservatory roof. I thought that there was a professional tennis player watching me give birth from his bedroom window out oh the back. Looking, but I, as I thought that, I also corrected myself and was like, what are you thinking? Like, wh- And the only thing I can compare that to is actually when I had, um, when I had altitude sickness, when I climbed up um mountain and I thought these three rocks were these men in suits and then as soon as I had the thought I corrected myself and was like whoa 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 no no so I was in this I think almost like dream state and was this with gas and air yeah but I wouldn't I don't know the gas and air made me quite funny so like the gas and air with with Annabelle with Kit I think it was a drop in the ocean I don't think it really did anything Mm. but with with Kit I remember sorry with Annabelle I remember I took a few puffs of it and I said because when this is over please can we get pizza from the pub and he was like Laura we can get whatever you want and actually we did get a pizza from the pub when we had Annabelle and she was there she was safe we ordered pizza and we had a pizza with her on the sofa we've still got a lovely photo of us but yeah so it was a long time pushing and I didn't feel that urge to push I didn't feel the need I I didn't I was just in a bit of a weird space and so they did a lot of guided pushing which is sort of when they put their finger in you and you push and to help you realize if it's kind of being effective or not or what's the what does that do yeah I think that is it I think they also told me when it got really close to the time and I was out of it they were like feel it can you feel the head you know try almost like that grounding thing which I didn't really want to feel the head but it was very motivating when you yeah. start feeling that head. But it took a long time to get Annabelle out. And they do remember them saying, you know, you've been doing this a long time. If it takes another hour, we're going to have to transfer you in an ambulance. And again, that was okay. actually quite motivating. Yeah. I think what maybe happened is that I dilated quite quite quickly, but I wasn't really ready to push. But because I was there mm. and I couldn't really feel things anymore. So I actually didn't really feel contractions near the end. I think I was quite disassociating, kind of out of body. Wow. that experience with the with the, the tennis player thing which is very weird yeah. um I would say to the student who was constantly monitoring my contractions have I got a contraction and she would say yeah there's one coming and then the other midwife said whenever you ask that question there's one coming 
So you do know when one's happening, but I didn't feel them anymore. So I started just sort of wow. not feeling it. And so this, I mean, it sounds quite, it sounds like what people describe when they've had an epidural, that real kind of mm. separation between the physical and the mental. Like, do you think that was almost just the strength of the bubble you'd got yourself into mentally? Would you, or did the midwives have a, a take on what... <laughs> what they thought was going on or I think I was exhausted I mean I can yeah. tell you I definitely felt her coming out um yeah. that was <laughs> but you did <laughs> what, what did that I... feel like what you was know the when people say ring a fire like... you know ring of mm. like yeah that's I just ring a fire um, mm. really painful but also yeah really painful just, but just like well we're here we're here she's she's coming now you know wow. we're all we're all right and then she came out and they had they put her on I didn't know if she was a girl or a boy I secretly okay. really wanted a girl um actually I don't know how secret I was about that but I did really want a girl <laughs> and they came out and I said I put in my note can Cosmo tell me the sex of baby because I always feel like you know I would tell Cosmo when I felt that first kick or I told Cosmo when I took the pregnancy test, uh, you know, it was all so driven by me and it's his mm. child too. And so I wanted him to tell me something to, t- to take. Mm. So um, they to own that moment. To own that moment. And the baby came out, they put them on my chest and I said, is it a girl or a boy? And they'd obviously read my notes, but, but didn't realise at the time, but Cosmo was, I thought he was coughing. I thought, what a weird time to have a coughing fit. I really did think that. He was he was sitting behind me. He was sort of holding me from behind. And, and he was coughing. And I thought, I thought, such a weird time to be coughing. And I realised he was just in pieces crying, which I just didn't expect from him because he's not really, um, oh, yeah, wow. I just didn't. Anyway, so they, they obviously realised that he couldn't tell me. So they said, well, why don't you oh. have a look? And I remember looking and obviously she's a girl. And I was like, am I right? Is she a girl? You know, I was like, you know, I'm pretty sure I know the genitalia of a boy and a girl, but I had to go, like, is that she moment. really a girl? Is she really a yeah. girl? Um, oh, wow. What did it feel like? Oh, it was just the best moment. But I mean, the best moment probably in my life. Just to have her in my arms, everything was safe. We were at home on the living room floor, um, listening to Mumford and Sons. I mean, it sounds cliche, but it was, I think it was the best moment of my life. Um, wow. The hardest day of my life, but the best, the best. The best moment. They, she then she didn't really cry, and they said she's breathing, but she's not crying. We just need to check her. And there was this sudden like, oh my god, what's wrong? I wanted them to take her and like hit her or do whatever they needed to do to make sure she yeah. was okay. And they did take her and they rubbed her, and then she started crying. And um, she's made up for that lack of noise the rest of her three years. <laughs> oh wow, that must have been magical. Yeah, it was magical. And then we got the pizza eventually and yeah, it was great. I was at home yeah. and in my own house and it was wonderful, really wonderful. And then recovery, looking after a baby for the first time, yeah, feeding. What were what were the subsequent weeks like learning how to have a newborn? Be wonderful. I love it. I love it. I love newborns. It was obviously hard. Don't get me wrong. It's very physically, you're so tired. So we went to bed that night and, um, you know, everyone talks about getting the baby to feed and that is a big thing. But I think I was so obsessed with like making sure the baby knew how to feed that she woke up. So then they left us a few hours later, they left us and we went to bed. We were completely exhausted. I mean, Mm. to a level I've never experienced before. And she wakes up, Annabelle wakes up in the night and, um, I, she was crying, screaming, and I was like, "Okay, I need to make sure I feed her properly. Like, how do I put her on the boob? How do I do?" It? And I was like, "Cause I can't do it. It's not working." And and we were just both for like twenty minutes trying to sort of get her back to sleep or try and get her to feed. And then I was like, "Oh, 
maybe she needs a nappy change. <laughs> so mm. we took... I, it was just amazing. We had we didn't think of that quicker. We we took her onto the, her bedroom floor and we opened this nappy and it was that meconium poo. You know, awful. No wonder she couldn't sleep. Poor girl. Changed that Aww. and just straight back to sleep. So that was that sort of moment of like, oh god, we're really. It's just us. There was no sort of that hospital easing you in and helping you out. Yeah, safety net of people being around. You're you're on your own, working mm. it out together. But you're also in your own bed. Got a pizza from the pub and you know. And how did feeding go? Did you know you wanted to try and breastfeed? Yeah, it was fine. I've been relatively lucky with that. I'm actually having more problems at the moment when I try and express. I get mastitis a lot. Um. So, no, I've been quite fortunate. I mean, I think it surprised me at how intense those after pains were when you're when you when you've just given birth and then you breastfeed. I think it's very unfair that you feel like you're back in labor again. It was, Why do I have to do this again? First, I had to do practice labor, then you have to do sort of post. But um, but I think I've been quite fortunate on that journey. Amazing. And you said that you changed jobs after you had Annabelle. Were you on mat leave for a while? How long did you take? And how was going back to work after you'd had her? So I went, so with Annabelle, she's my little lockdown baby, because five weeks later, we went into lockdown. And that was a bit strange, because I, I don't have many friends with babies. And then suddenly I was thrown into a lockdown. Um, we went out to my parents for three weeks, which was lovely, but again, very surreal. And I didn't really like leaving. As I said, I'm quite a home person. I didn't really like leaving the home that I thought I'd created partly for this baby to go somewhere else and I didn't understand I remember thinking well, what how many baby grows do I take what age baby grows do I take how long am I going to be there for so that was a bit unsettling um, but it also meant that I spent when we came back to London particularly after those three weeks you know it was uh, Cos went back to work and it was just me and Annabelle we didn't have any activity you know there were no baby groups on so we just went to the park every day, which was me and her for so many hours of the day, which was absolutely wonderful. But it also then when a friend started the company Human Forest um, and asked me to join, I wasn't too worried about going back to work because I was very excited about the prospect of work with them. It was all going to be work from home. I was going to start three days a week. It felt very exciting, less scary. So I was, mm. yeah, and then after several months, it went to four days and we sort of stayed up four mm. days and how did you manage childcare for Annabelle at that time because if it was lockdown as well were you just trying to juggle looking after her with a new job with just newly married I mean it sounds like <laughs> yeah, it was quite you, I mean you're saying it as though it's not a big deal yeah. but you clearly took a lot in your stride you had a lot on in the middle of a pandemic as well well I did so I started actually I forgot to say I started part-time so I would just do the hours I could do and again at this point there were only four or five of us in the company so it wasn't like I was managing people and therefore having to be sort of on a schedule so I would do part-time sort of when she slept or whatever for a few weeks that didn't you know that's not something that can last forever and then we got this wonderful nanny who we still have now who joined us I think we started two days a week and then it went up to three days a week and so that that's yeah she's our she's childcare and like she's with kids now and and actually it was hard having her to start with because it had just really been me Cosmo and Annabelle but predominantly me and Annabelle for so long giving her to someone else giving her to anyone else I found difficult I found that separation difficult uh, to be honest I still find that separation from her very difficult I mm. don't I love time away but I don't seek it out that often maybe not as often as I should and I struggle sometimes to really enjoy being away from from her from and now from the two of them something I'm working on well yeah and I wonder do do you think that ever really goes away like is that kind of the the forever challenge of mums that you always feel slightly torn between wanting to be with your babies but needing to be your own person needing a break needing to be your own person and have your own stuff but whenever you have your own stuff 
you miss them you worry about them I mean do you think has it has it got easier she's now three does it get easier or do you still feel it in the same way god I'm thinking about sort of going back to work now and it's making me feel emotional I was talking about I think mm. I think the, the painful irony of being a parent is that you do everything you can you look after them so closely you teach them everything so that they can be independent of you and you give them the security and the secure attachments so that they can be their own person and that's what's Mm. really hard you know you're teaching them to tie their shoelaces so that they do it without you one day and Mm. I I, that is something that I will work on but I've got a few years of that yet so we'll get there Um, it's such a beautiful way of putting it but also heartbreaking Mm. because you're teaching them to leave you and I think I spoke to a friend recently and they said um you know actually they know that when their their child's grown up they know that when their child doesn't call them that's actually often when they're the happiest when they don't need them it's when they're calling them every day that they worry about them a bit more Mm. I mean it's got different with Annabelle she's still I mean I my husband said oh I'll take her to nursery you've got your you're, you're doing this podcast this morning and she said no mommy you take me take me and I, I crumble I go okay I'll take you mm. you know I could give myself more of a break then I could have had a few more minutes you know had a cup mm. of tea um not be drinking mm. out of my daughter's water I could have got my own water um but <laughs> no. I chose to take her but she won't always ask for me so um no. I don't I have you have to have boundaries but I do find it very hard when I walk out the door and she's saying mommy mommy and the baby luckily doesn't really do that because he can't talk yet so we'll see when but he I think he might be a bit more of a laid-back character anyway well yeah let's get on to Kit because I mean there's so much to talk about but uh, we could go on for hours and Mm. hours how was having Kit when did you decide you wanted another baby and you said that it took a few months this time how was conceiving and how was pregnancy different sorry that's a lot of (laughs) questions but um I so we had a friend's wedding I didn't want to be pregnant for that very good friend's wedding she delayed it all through lockdown and I just didn't want to be and I obviously you can't really plan these things but I said right we won't try until after that wedding and then we have another friend's wedding for the September after so I said oh, theirs is abroad I want to make their wedding and not be have it not with a baby and I managed just to be able to do those two things wow. so I so it took about three four months so not too long at all with Kit but again it was just a very different experience because with Annabelle I hadn't ever really tried so it was that feeling of like oh it didn't work you know um what mm-hmm. right when do we have to plan to try and you know that thing is harder work than it just happening how much do we want to push yeah. it happening versus not stressing about exactly it? but I, I mean I, I I'm very fortunate I didn't have to sort of stress too much with that so that was good yeah and then he was due do you know what I was nine months pregnant in that awful heat wave over summer you know that proper one where they were like hottest day on record hottest day on record was forecast for my due date so I pretty much lay prone for that week before I gave birth I didn't really yeah. do much I was just like don't come now I knew he was a boy I found out he was a boy this time I just wanted to be organized I wanted to turn about she had a baby mm-hmm. brother a baby sister which I know is a bit ridiculous oh. but I just really wanted to like well it is her. different I mean when you have a small child I imagine you want them to feel involved in some way yeah she was very involved she really got it she did get it she got the baby in the tummy sort of thing that it was getting bigger she said to me once mommy you're there's a thing in Peppa Pig a walking talking snowman she said mommy you look like a walking talking snowman um which is funny and also rude but mainly funny so she got it and so I knew with Kit that he was a boy and so you're getting towards your second birth now having had your home birth 
did you have different expectations at all? Did you want it to go exactly the same way? Or were you hoping for different things having done it once and learned some things about the last time? What were you thinking? I wanted another home birth, but I wasn't, you know, I, and I wasn't really set on it for the first one either. I sort of always said, if, if I need to go in, I go in. With Kit, I went into, I got through that really hot heat wave thing which was pretty bad how did you get through that i, I by literally the way? lay down i think i read like if you if you if you move less you're less likely to go into labor so i pretty much lay mm. flat and i did sort of go in the paddling pool put my feet in the paddling pool a bit but the dog the puppy kept weeing in it so it was a bit gross i didn't really do much i just tried to, to yeah. keep sane and stay still and we got through that and i was very bored basically because I don't really like not doing anything. So mm. then we went we, we went to Hampton Court. I think we were the youngest people not on a school trip that were at Hampton Court that day. Uh, it was weird. <laughs> we went to Hampton Court and then the next day I said, I um, really want to go to Princess Diana Memorial Fountain in Hyde Park because I'm obsessed with water when I'm pregnant. Obsessed. Mm. I mean, addicted to water in all, any form. What do you mean? So drinking lots, but what, yeah. Um, what? Frothy water, like soapy water. Um, I just love it. I can't really describe it in any other way. I would fill, I, I would fill the sink with soapy water. Um, I'll, with Annabelle, I had one day. I had three baths, bubble baths. I suck the sponges. Nice. Like I love it. Yeah, wow. really weird, isn't it? People ask if I had any cravings. But- that was the only soapy frothy water wow but only during pregnancy or do you just generally love water normally or was that kind of a (laughs) yeah no I'm over it wow I'm over it now but I miss it um I miss that like satisfaction and this fountain because it has these I don't know if you've ever it's in Hyde Park it's beautiful it's really really nice Mm -hmm. um it's got all these undulating things so the water sort of froths and um goes up and down and I went there with Annabelle when I was pregnant with Annabelle and I loved it um, because it's all like frothy water and I we would go and visit my husband's family in Devon and you um looking out the window you can see all the waves and it's like the froth and I love wow. the froth so I wanted to go to this um fountain and see the froth I guess and so I went and I put my feet in and played in the water for a while but there were loads of kids there it was mm. it was less when I went with Annabelle it was winter so it was just sort of me and the froth it was a bit there was a lot of kids in swimwear and I was like how much children's wee is in this froth but anyway it was satisfying (laughs) and then I walked around so I did a big walk back to back through Notting Hill and got my hair cut and I remember getting my hair cut and being like god I am tired and I kind of want this woman just to you know don't I felt like I was being really rude but I was like I really want her to hurry up like I need to get home and we walked back from the hairdresser and I said to Cosma I feel like don't talk to me too much because I feel incredibly grumpy and I don't know why I'm just really grumpy Mm. and I got home I was like maybe I'm tired went and lay for a nap woke up from the nap and my waters are broken um so I think I knew I think my body knew like right let's get home yeah yeah you've had this frothy water thing it's time to go yeah Um, it's got me in the zone got my water going so um I my water's broke at home but I didn't go into labor for properly for 24 hours so again I felt a few pains but it wasn't even like that practice labor that I had with Annabelle it was just like a pains but not nothing massive uh so I'd like Mm -hmm. try and go for walks and get everything started um and then they, the home birth team came over and they said, look, if the guidance is if you haven't gone into labour after 24 hours, you need to go in and be induced. Um, but they were also mm. like, look, you can push back on that because it's only a, the risk is around infection. They said it's only 1% chance of infection. So like, 
you know, if you say you want to keep trying at home, you can keep trying at home. But regardless, you will have to go in after you give birth to be monitored. So I kept trying for a few more hours at home. And then I said, look, if I've got to go in anyway, why am I trying to push having a home birth? Because you're going to have to go in. If some of the benefit was having that nice moment exactly. afterwards, eating pizza on your sofa, you're not going to have That's it anyway. Exactly right. And I would have had to go in an ambulance. It's just a bit stressful. And I actually think the reason that I wasn't progressing at home was because my home was no longer this sort of like nice, serene place that it was when I didn't have a toddler and a puppy. Um, and it wasn't the middle of summer, which is very much more public, you know, with windows open. And, and so I sort of said, no, I'm happy. I'm going and, and, and have an appointment. So we just drove in. And I think there was a bit of pushback. Like they did really, I think they're the home birth team. They really wanted to make it happen for me, which I, and so I almost felt like I was disappointing them slightly, really. So we went in and they were great. Like they obviously read this thing about the C-section they left me in the room, the sort of like, yeah, I don't know what it's called, but like the sort of triage sort of space, yeah, for quite a while. And I was very aware that I was in labour and that I was making quite a lot of noise. I was a bit nervous that there was maybe a woman who was like 12 weeks or 20 weeks and maybe they had a problem and there was an eye sort of giving actually birth, basically. In the... how, how long were we you got, there And for? the appointment was at three and we moved to our own room at like half five. So they kept me in there a few hours and... I almost think that they were waiting for me to say, look, I need to move. And as soon as Mm. I think I sent Cosmo in and he he said, look, she needs, she needs some space. And so they pretty much straight away let me in the room and the room was amazing. It was lovely um, in the labor ward. And yeah, that's where I, it really kicked off. I think it was, we knew it was our space and that we were ready to go. My body was like, that's, do it and then as soon as I got into that room it it did kick off and they said okay you know we we did say if you come in we'd induce you but having read your notes it's clear that maybe you're would you like to try not to be induced given that you are already having early contractions and I said yeah let's hold off and and right just literally within an hour Cos went to the he was convinced that I didn't eat enough in the in the labor before I think he was probably right he went and got bagels and snacks and um and force fed me and then things did kind of kick off and when you say kick off did you were you then just ramping up and when did Kit arrive and how did he arrive it just got a lot more intense so you know I brought in fairy lights and like I we had they, they had speakers in there they got a, um, a mat for me on the floor and I felt a bit funny like sort of in someone else's thing and so I was feeling a bit so I said oh cause let's play a few games so I wanted to play you know that game where you heads up I wanted that and 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 so I, we we caused downloaded that and then the only thing was his phone was connected to the speakers so it and it it kept going you know sometimes the noise on those apps can be like disproportionately loud so it would be like tick 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 you know so like everything it was quite stressful (laughs) so I was like stop that game I guess the point of that was to just get myself like having fun and just relaxing in the space and Mm, get the oxytocin flowing it wasn't long before I was like okay no more games (laughs) um this is painful and it was more painful the contractions again I don't know if I was sort of disassociating less this time and way more in the room but it was much more painful with Kit he was he was bigger he was not he wasn't back to back but he wasn't in a perfect position he was slightly wonky um and those contractions I mean the wave thing kind of got lost a few times I felt like I was in the wave. um Mm. the gas and air was like a drop in the ocean in terms of pain relief but what it did do was it it kept my breathing on track which was the only thing that really kept me going Mm. I started to sort of beg for 
pain relief mm. and they they were there was a wonderful midwife called Amira and she was quite quiet um quite stoic and she was like no like you're okay you can keep going and I said being, no no like pushing back being like no I you know I'll take anything I want the epidural and I think Cos was also like Laura you know you've done this before um, not that there's anything wrong with the epidural, but there was that concern for me around each step getting closer to what I didn't want, which was the C-section. And actually, even mm. when I went into the hospital, they walked me past the theatre and they said, that's the theatre if you need it. Um, that's where you'll be if you have, it does end in C-section. I just remember tears coming to my eyes and like grabbing Cosmo's hand and being like, oh God. Because um, for me, even getting into hospital was about one step closer. But they were really, you know, they pushed me to not have the epidural. And I do remember begging for it and her saying, look, I will give you whatever you want. I just want to make sure you really do want this. Um, I The last thing mm. I want is for you to be traumatized by this birth. And now, and then she was like, now I'm going to read you the risks associated with epidural. And she sort of very slowly read them to me. I knew exactly what she was doing. I had like, by the time she finished reading me the things, it was like three contractions down. And I was a bit more like, right, let's just get going. Let's get on with this. Mm. She was wonderful. It makes her sound a bit harsh, but she was trying to understand the difference between my birth plan and where I was at and mm. try and navigate me she was reading the room bridging between yeah. the two wow and so how how much longer after that yes yeah, so that he was arrive? like sort of I'd say by 7 p.m we were really into it and I was having these contractions I was I was much more this time the four you know upright open thing I was really on top of um I was on a birth ball thing and I could see her watch upside down and it was like quarter to 11 or something and I said how many more hours like because every time I lost the breathing with the gas and air I mean I was hitting the furniture with it like and she said I think the baby will be should be here within four hours and I was like are you fucking joking me four hours I thought she was going to say 45 minutes and I was just I just remember being like what no and actually it wasn't it was two hours I think he was born at 10 to 1 because it was the next day there was one moment I did really dislike in hospital which I think is probably worth saying because if I did it again I'd put on my notes something about it when there was a changeover in the sort of leader team in the hospital on the labor ward they all came into the room there were seven of them there was like the head midwife I guess an obstetrician the anesthetist so and they'd come into each of the rooms and sort of know where all the women were at. And so I was on the floor, like sort of bum in the air, pretty much naked, having contractions. And suddenly seven people walk in the room. And there was me having had a very private birth. Gosh, yeah, that must have been so disruptive. Yeah, I think they, I said something. And the, the head midwife said, well, when it all really kicks off, I, I turned to her and I said, excuse me, kicks off. And she was like, oh, I'm very sorry, I didn't mean it. She was she was very apologetic and took it back and backtracked. But there was just a real threat of these sudden, because I really loved the midwife who we had in that room. She was really supportive and really quietly supportive and helpful in there. Uh, for both Cosmo and myself, and they just were like, ah, I just found it a bit much. That's incredibly intrusive out of nowhere for you in such an intimate moment. I was moment. trying to move, and I was like, I'm not comfortable, I'm not comfortable, I need to get upright, and then I'd have a contraction, and they didn't really understand, and I was starting to push, and they were both Cosmo and the midwife said, hold, like, save your energy, you don't need to push, and I, I was like, no, like, I need to push, I need to push, I need to move position, and then I need to push, um, and he was 10 minutes, and he was out, and I closed my eyes for all that 10 minutes. When I was like, I moved, I changed position 
and then I knew and I just said I'm going to close my eyes I'm going to open I'm not going to open my eyes until this baby is here and I remember um, Cosmo was on the left of me and um, the midwife was on the right sort of you know looking at me giving birth and she would say something and then Cosmo would repeat it and that sounds really patronizing but she would be like because I didn't tear on either of them and I was quite I really didn't want to tear again and Mm. and so she would say when I say stop stop pushing and so she would say stop pushing breathe stop pushing and Coles would say stop pushing Mm. breathe stop pushing and and I just remember being like just listening to them and doing what they tell me I'm not opening my eyes until he's here and then he came and I and I didn't really believe because that thing with Annabelle where they were like she's not really crying and they I was like, are you sure he's okay? And she was like, yep. And I was like, are you really, really sure he's okay? And she was like, yep. And there he was. And they had I, they told me he was a very, very big baby before he was born and freaked me out quite a lot. And that had thrown a few questions about whether I should have a home birth and that his head was off the charts big. And there he was, seven pounds mm. eight, and very normal sized baby. And yeah, perfect. Amazing. And no tearing, you said? No tearing. Amazing. I was very fortunate. I mean, I think a graze. I had both times I had like what they call a graze, mm. which is managed very manageable. And what was it like introducing Annabelle to Kit? She was a bit. She was wild last summer. I think it was the heat and me being pregnant. She was just like a wild woman, naked, running around all the time. <laughs> so I went to collect her from our wonderful neighbours, and I had a friend who came over and looked after her. My mum had had her for a night, and because I had to stay in a few nights after, uh, yeah, a few mm. nights after. So I went and collected her from a friend, to their friend's house. She didn't even really realise that my bump had gone. Obviously, the bump is still sort of there. Mm. She didn't really get it. Mm. She came, she went into his bedroom and I said, look, there's something for you. There's a little card. And then she saw him in the cot and it, it was just the sweetest thing. I mean, she, considering she was just crazy naked child mm. all summer, she sort of suddenly went into this sort of quiet in love with him. And she has not really got out of that in love stage. She... It's very enamoured with him. And what's it like looking after two tiny ones? What's kind of a typical day in your household? So we still have the nanny. So she really takes Annabelle and I've tried to keep that consistent. Um, but I'll take her, to, I'll drop her at nursery um, and I'll take her to ballet class. And then on Fridays, it's mm. just me. But it's chaos, obviously, it's chaos. And with the dog as well, the dog the dog and the baby are in love with each other. So yeah, it's busy, but great. I wanted to ask you, um, you said you'd kind of changed jobs before and you were in a job that you loved. How, if at all, do you think your career has been affected or not by mm. having two little ones in fairly quick succession? What has that been like? So the people around me have been really important. So Cosmo's always been really supportive about how do we make it work for you mm. doing both? Um, and what does that look like? Um, having said that, if I completely wanted to stop, I'm sure he would try and support mm. me with that. And if I, I don't think, I, I think he knows I'll never do this, but if I really wanted to go all guns blazing with my career and not make it home in time for bedtime, I'm sure he would try mm. and accommodate that as well. But it's always, he, I think we've always known that there's, I've wanted to make it a middle ground. Um, and so that he's been really supportive. I've also had um, a woman who I work with who started, um, was one of the founders of Human Forest who brought me over there. She's got three kids and is a few years older than, than I am. And we worked together before and she's always been a bit of a mentor. So there are times where I find the balance, the juggle really difficult. And it's often her that I go to and it helps because I'm working with her so she'll know then that I'm finding it a bit tough I'm asking her for advice in a non-work capacity but she will be able to bring that into work and know what's going on for me I've always been really open with her and she's always been really supportive and a good role model Um, so that's helped having those people 
I think it's given me a bit more perspective. So if I'd had a bad day at work or a hard day at work, not necessarily a bad day, but just a busy, stressful day at work, I'd often take it home with me and, and it would um, prey on my mind. And I'm not saying that I don't think about things now when I get home, but fundamentally, I mean, I think to myself, right, well, are, they, are my children and my family, are they happy and healthy? Yes. All right. Well, that doesn't really matter too much, does it? It gives me perspective to let go. And then I actually think that probably makes me a bit better at my job because I'm able to kind of just be like, okay, it's not the end of the world, but it's not easy. Like that's, it's not easy. And I'm, I'm nervous about going back already because I always do feel like I'm giving, when I'm working, I'm giving everyone half of me. Um, my mum said to me, why don't you flip that on your head and say you're double, you're a double person. But I do, if I'm honest, I feel like I'm struggling to absolutely kill it at work and absolutely kill it being a mum. Then I, then I think to myself, what would I want for my children? Do I want them to feel like they have to kill it all the time? Or is it okay to be imperfect and good enough and trying really hard? And I'm trying really hard. I love what um, I love what your mum said. I feel like I need to have some chats with your mum. She's got great <laughs> yeah. wisdom flowing out of she her. She's great. I love that. You're not half on each. You're double. Yeah, you are doubling up, but it's a lot. Clearly, comes at a cost. Comes at a cost sometimes. Yeah, but you, yeah. You're trying to give it all though, and it takes a huge. It takes a huge amount to be doing all of this. I have a few quick fire questions that I want to throw at you before we we finish. So what was the most unexpected or strange pregnancy side effect? The bubbles, the water, the bubbles. I'm completely obsessed with it, addicted to it, want to drink the want to drink the bath water. Very weird. I love that. Amazing. <laughs> what could you not have done without during labour? This isn't so lighthearted, but my husband, mm. well, it's a bit cliche, but it's true. He was wow. amazing. He was oh, amazing. Well done, Cosmo. Best tip or trick that you've learned? What's your best like baby hack? Try and laugh it off. Mm. Just try and like just have a sense of humor. Just keep just keep keep it funny. Oh, interesting. What like so if something goes terribly wrong or if like yeah, just like don't worry about it too much. Just like find the funny side. Some things are, are funny. Finally, what has been your funniest? moment so far as parents or as a mum it's a bit disgusting but when I was toilet training Annabelle the um I didn't really believe her but I heard her telling the dog off and I went into the the living room from the kitchen I was trying to bake a cake um and she was like no Dolly no no and and I was like what what's going on she's like Dolly ate my poo and I looked and Dolly did have her head in the t- in the potty. And then I looked and there was no, and I said, no, I mean, it's still disgusting. But I was like, no, she didn't. She's just, she's just drinking your wee. And she said, this is so Annabelle. She just knows. She's like, no, mummy, she ate my poo. And I looked at the dog and there was a little bit left over on the carpet and she was wagging her tongue like her lips. And that's the moment that I mean, like, just keep your sense of humor because it nearly sent me over the edge. But yeah, that could go um, one of two ways. You can, yeah. you can see the funny side. You just laugh it off. <laughs> clean it up laugh it off move on from it and she because I laughed it off she found it really really funny she still tells the story oh, I love that. very proud of that I love that finally Laura is there anything that you'd like to say or share that we've kind of not got to that feels important one thing that I really learned from that not from the home birth and not not having a home birth is that it doesn't really matter where you give birth it's about your own headspace I think the midwife said to me I, I emailed her afterwards to thank her and she said you made the hospital room your home it's about feeling safe home that sense of home is about feeling safe and secure and like you have agency and I don't think you need to worry 
too much about exactly where it is as long as there's a good level of care and and you can make the space your own wonderfully put well laura thank you so much for sharing all of your stories and experiences today it's been wonderful thank you that's the end of this episode take care and see you next time